1: Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old fashioned.
2: Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello.
3: Welcome to Awesome Etiquette.
2: Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we're going to talk about family vacations when you're not family, when it's okay to use a wedding monogram, and how to handle yourself in professional circumstances when you're not supposed to be happy. All that plus a postscript discussion that continues our talk about managing dogs.
3: That's all coming up.
2: Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and Minnesota Public Radio and is proud to be part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media.
3: I'm Lizzie Post.
2: And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And we're from the Emily Post Institute.
3: Oh, my goodness.
2: Oh, my what goodness th- gracious. I, know.
3: I just came off 10 days teaching. And after we record these two podcasts, I'm going on vacation.
2: And um, let me give you a, a great big virtual pat on the back and tell you that Aww. I appreciated so much the way you held the fork down when I was away and <laughs> stuck around because it's, it's often there's a rush of work when someone gets back. There's yes. the stuff that kind of piled up over yeah. time and it wasn't a ripe moment for you to to take that time take yourself. Off. And I yeah. just want to thank you for for sticking with it and, and grinding through this training that we just got through.
3: Oh, thanks, but I really do appreciate that because I was expecting when you got back, I was like, all right, things are going to get easier. And then all of a sudden it was like, no, I still have all the same work. <laughs> it was kind of funny. I was like, oh, reality check. All right. Yeah. We're doing a lot these days yep. and it's a lot of fun. And there's a lot of really cool stuff that's going to be coming out of the Emily Post Institute in the next six months. But I am just so excited to take a break for a little bit. And what I'm more excited about is that we, we're we busting our little rear ends this week to make sure that we have fresh podcasts for you, even while I am away. And what's really interesting about today's podcast is, did anybody notice that Dan added a studio into our intro?
2: Let's pull back the curtain on a little bit of radio magic and share with all of our listeners out there that we are actually recording today from two different studios. (laughs) I am in St. Paul, Minnesota at the studios for Minnesota Public Radio, which is also the home to American public media.
3: Dude, we're recording from two different time zones. Well,
2: that meant I had to get up just a little bit earlier, but <laughs> but I am in studio with Hans, who also got up extra early this morning to get in here and be sure that we had all of the technical specs in order so that we're able to do this. And it really is kind of fun. yeah.
3: Boy, we are so grateful for it. And I'm really excited that you guys have gotten a chance to meet in person. I'm terribly jealous. Just so you know, I am literally green with jealousy right now.
2: It's everything that you thought it would be and more. Hans is incredible. Ah! And just like I'm looking at Hans right now, we should let everyone know that another piece of the radio magic is that you and I have little video chat windows open. So we're looking at each other the way we often do across the table at Vermont Public Radio, but it's across the country. It's really kind of incredible.
3: Gotta love our digital world.
2: It is amazing. But we've got a lot of questions to get to this week. Shall we get on with the show?
0: Absolutely. You mean that's all there is just what we've talked about?
1: Oh, no, but you already know a great deal. And you can learn still more by watching Mother, Dad, and other people who have good manners.
2: On every episode of Awesome Etiquette, we take your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or give us a call at 802 866 0860. Our first question today has to do with family vacations when you're not family. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. This May, I am thrilled to be going on a two-week trip to England and Ireland with my boyfriend of three years and his family. This will be my second time traveling with them. The first time we traveled together, I paid for my plane ticket, hotel accommodations, and little things here and there. The family insisted on picking up the tab for most things, such as dinners out or coffee breaks, entertainment fare, and so on. This was extremely generous of them, and I am very appreciative. Of course, a thank you card and gift was sent to them when we returned home. For the upcoming trip, everyone's airfare and hotel has been covered by my boyfriend's grandfather. He is facing health challenges, and his final wish was to have his family visit one last time. Because of this generosity, I would really feel more comfortable paying for my own meals, coffee, entertainment, etc. I do not want to blindly assume that they will cover the cost for these things. However, I feel stuck. I am so grateful to have a partner with a loving and kind family who has welcomed me with open arms. I truly value my relationship with his parents and grandparents and do not want to cause any unpleasantness. Do you have any sample language that could start a conversation about expenses for the trip? Best, Hillary.
3: Hillary, first of all, you do sound like you have the most wonderful family that your boyfriend comes from. And it is so wonderful that they extend their their loving generosity towards you as well. I love the fact that Hillary talks about she sent the thank you note and she sent the gift afterwards. And she really this is the perfect host guest dance that's happening here between these two my wish, Hillary, is that you will embrace their generosity and accept it with the spirit in which it is given. Um, That's a phrase that we use around, around our etiquette offices a lot. And it's a really good one. And I like empowering people to accept generosity when it's bestowed upon them. And it sounds like you do all the things that someone who is receiving generosity should do. You say thank you. You recognize the impact it might be having on these people but they are still willing to give it. So you're doing the polite thing by receiving it. My vote is that you run with this and that you pay for whatever it is you've agreed to pay for. So last trip it was your hotel accommodations and your travel. But I would let let the family pay for dinners out and um, if they're offering to pay for tickets to museums or shows that you're going to go see, I would take them up on it and do what it sounds like you do very naturally, which is to just say thank you in the moment and again with that wonderful note afterwards. But I think this family has really embraced you as one of their own You're counted as family. I say, run with it, girl, run with it.
2: (laughs) I think that really gets to the heart of the question. I would say that while receiving that generosity, there might be other things that you want to talk about. If If there are any questions about the expenses for this trip, you just want to get them on the table. You want to talk about them early and as often as you need to so that you can relax and really enjoy this time with your boyfriend and his family. I would start with the boyfriend and then maybe escalate if that conversation needs to continue to to climb the staircase. You could then go on and have the discussion with the parents or maybe even the grandfather. And when you ask about sample language, I think it's as simple as, I was hoping to talk with you about expenses for our upcoming trip. (laughs) I was hoping to talk with you about how we're going to handle expenses for the trip we're taking. Anything like that. Um, Discussions about money, we say, should be candid and honest. And they're they're a bit synonymous, (laughs) but you just need to be really upfront with people and you need to be really clear about what your limits are and what you can afford another thing that you might mention is that you really want to contribute in some way and that you're looking for his help figuring out the best way to do that now i really appreciate the spirit of the advice lizzie gave that (laughs) that you accept gifts well that you participate yeah i had a, a little suggestion here that you can accept their generosity but also prepare to make a few gestures of your own along the way Love it. That start to plan. And maybe this is the way that you have the discussion with your boyfriend, the parents that, you know, you're so appreciative of everything that they're doing and you really want their help in surprising the grandfather with a (laughs) particular dinner or meal or night out or whatever they think or you think is really going to help make that special. It could be so much fun to conspire with others to do something nice and it could be a really, a really fun way for you to participate some in planning this trip.
3: Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear jerking to plot twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, Hillary, we truly hope that no matter how the financial part of this trip plays out, that you're really able to focus on and enjoy this wonderful opportunity and really spend this special time with your boyfriend's grandfather as he wished because it just sounds like you all have the most wonderful bond. And I think that's really exciting. And I think, I think no matter what, you're probably going to have a great time and it's all going to shake out just fine. Okay, I really love our next question because I actually have a really hard time coming up with an answer to it. So it might be one of those questions that we are really going to lean on you, our audience, to come in and chime in with feedback for us. It's titled, Greetings for Attorneys in Awkward Situations. (laughs) Again, not things I typically think of when I think of etiquette, but boy, it's an etiquette issue. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I'm an attorney, fairly new in her career. My practice is mostly family law, criminal defense, and estate planning. So basically, I meet my clients at the worst times in their lives, when their families are falling apart, when they're facing serious repercussions for mistakes they've made, or when they're contemplating their own demise. It's interesting work, and I love helping people, but yeah, it can get a little morbid sometimes. I never really noticed before, but recently a client thanked me for not saying nice to meet you when she came in. She said that since the circumstances under which she had to meet me weren't good, that she appreciated that I didn't pretend meeting me was for a nice reason. I started thinking about it and realized I'm not sure what phrases to use. If this were another business, saying something like, thank you for coming in, would be okay. But in my line of work, it might come across as, you're getting divorced, and I'm happy to be making money off of it. I want to respect the gravity of my clients' circumstances, but I also want to be friendly. A lot of times, I end up acting almost as a therapist for my clients, so I want to cultivate a comfortable, respectful demeanor for when I'm meeting them. Do you have any advice? Thank you. Advocating and etiquette.
2: Advocating an etiquette. Well, thank you also for your question. I sympathize. And I also have a a relative who practices this type of law. And this particular girl really prides himself on staying out of court on providing services for people in these difficult times and doing it in a way where he can help them resolve their situations in the best possible way for them at that time. And if they can stay out of a really contentious fight, that is oftentimes his pitch, that it's going to be better for all parties involved. You provide an incredibly important service and maintaining that environment of respect is an important part of providing that service so that everybody that you're interacting with feels that they have a place where they can be heard and, well, listened to, respected, be treated like considerate and honest people. Yeah. While this question feels very personal, it's a professional etiquette question. And the stakes are, are somewhat high here. And, and as you point out, there is a question of money involved. And you want to be careful about how you appear so that it doesn't come off as crass. My guess is that what really matters here is the tone. It's not exactly the words because any script that I come up with or, or that Lizzie Post comes up with, I appreciate <laughs> you coming in. I'm glad you reached out. Thank you for turning to us. If, if I were to, to really parse it and look for the negative, I could find something about it that felt negative in the same way right. you, you mentioned. Thank you for coming in. Could sound like you're getting divorced. I'm happy to make money off of it. So I do think it's the question of your tone that you do it in a way that has some seriousness, but without being insincere or being rote. And I think it's a great uh, reminder to all of us that we really stay present in that moment, that what's important is um, our ability to be with that person and read what it is they need, what it is they're feeling.
3: My first go-tos were things like, um, I appreciate you coming in. And I think I I appreciate... Says something a little different than thank you. I I think there's just a a different tone to it. So maybe I appreciate you turning to us during this difficult time. You know, you say good morning, Mrs. Smith. Um, You know, I just really yeah, welcome. I just really want you to know that I'm I'm here for you during this difficult time. That might be a way. It's I like the idea of welcome because that. That does let them know they are welcome to this space and this should be a space where they are being welcomed into. That's okay. That's really okay. I don't think that has to do with the money so much or saying, like, thanks for choosing me. I've got an idea. Yeah. What do you think?
2: We've we've between the two of us run through about five or six different things you might say. And this yeah. was one of my little etiquette exercise thoughts. What if you wrote down four or five different greetings, or five or seven different greetings, and just having some variability in the way that you approached that might be uh, might introduce enough choice into the equation to keep mm-hmm. that moment fresh. That there's yeah. not going to be a particular right answer, but y- you might want to be really concrete with yourself that you know there's about th- there are a number of different ways I could handle ways this. Ways you could
3: approach it. Yeah, those are all tools. I like the idea of of moving straight into the idea. That that you're going to be able to help this person through a difficult time, because that is really what you are there for. Focusing on that rather than the "it's a pleasure to meet you," even though that's a general nicety, I think getting right to the Mrs. Smith. I really want you to know that I'm here for you during this difficult time, or I'm I am uh, I'm glad to be able to help you during this difficult time.
2: I really like that. I think keeping your your approach professional. Is important. Mm-hmm. And it could be very easy, as you acknowledge, to start to fall into this role of therapist. And there's a certain percentage of your work that's going to involve that type of work. <laughs> At the same time, you're also there to provide legal advice and really keeping that, that framework around the interaction, I think is going to make it a more comfortable space for people that are going through a really difficult time. As Lizzie said at the start of this question, this is a very difficult topic, and um, this is one of those questions where Lizzie and I would both really like to appeal to all of you out there, our audience, to help us and our listener out, and send your responses to this question to etiquette at emilypost.com. Next up is a question for our wedding trainer, Lizzie Post, and it's a classic <laughs> wedding etiquette question. It has to do with married monograms before the wedding. Hi, Emily Post family. Oh, I really like that intro.
3: I do too. Everybody included.
2: I am writing to find out whether it is appropriate to use your married monogram on wedding invitations. My mother says I should not, but I am reading mixed reviews online.
0: Warm regards, Rachel
3: Rachel, this one is so easy. I love it. I love it. It has such a clear cut answer. And your mother is right. I rarely get to say that, but your mother is totally right. You don't want to use your your married monogram until the marriage is official. And that is only for the for safety's sake. it is it is one of those things that we really do stick to. And that while I have every confidence that your marriage is going to be fabulous and it is going to go off without a hitch, um, the reality is is that until you have actually signed that marriage certificate, you are not Mrs. So and So, or you are not you know you do you don't have that hyphenated last name yet. You are still with your given name, and I think it's really important to just remember that until that marriage certificate is signed and official. Those aren't your initials. Those aren't your monogram. And so you really want to wait until after the wedding. One of the other ways to think about this, too, is that if you started sending stuff out that had your monogram stationary, you might a little bit give people pause and and have them be a little confused when they receive it. Wait a second. Did the wedding already take place? Did it already happen? Because her monogram's different or her name is different. I'm not sure. Wait. Is the wedding still happening? I'm pretty sure I got an invitation. So... Keep it simple. It's a clear dividing line. And as soon as that that marriage certificate is signed and everything is official, use all of that wonderful stationery and monograms everywhere that you possibly can.
2: One of the advantages of sitting in this studio is I could see the quizzical look on
4: Hans' face right now. What are you thinking, Hans? So I'm just wondering, I really love the part about wedding invitations, that it's the coming together of two families. You know, oftentimes you get an invitation and it's the parents you know, this group of parents and this group of parents present these people to be married. And it feels like that last moment to be able to celebrate, this is the family that I'm bringing into this relationship.
3: Oh, like you're celebrating your given name up until One the last, last moment that, that it's f- yours. Oh, exactly. I love that idea. I like oh, that you perspective. little romantic Hans. That's very <laughs> romantical. I love it. And yes, I made up that word. I like that positive spin on thinking about it. Very, very... You've been hanging out with with a couple etiquette experts for a while now, huh? (laughs) But
1: there's more. What's
2: that? More questions coming up. But first, a word from our sponsor.
1: Here, let's try another trick.
2: This next question is about a gala gaffe. Dear Awesome, that's you too.
3: (laughs) Wait, hey, that was an exclamation point at the end of that, bub.
2: That's you too! The question begins. My wife and I live in Washington, D.C., and we were invited to an annual gala event recently. It is not black tie, but is a very elegant affair. Reception, seated dinner, program. This year, I knew I would be traveling during that time in a great southern city. Not New Orleans, Lizzie, although that is one of my favorite cities. (laughs) But I decided to accept the invitation anyway. I made plans to fly back early on the same day so that I could attend the event. It was going to be tight, but I thought I could make it. Sounds great, right? Unfortunately, I missed my flight back. The next flight arrived in D.C. too late for me to make it to the event. My wife didn't want to go alone, so neither of us could attend. As soon as I realized I was not going to make the flight, I emailed my host to let them know. I didn't have a phone number to reach them. This was only about three hours before the event, but I hoped they might be able to find someone else to go. Or at least I wanted to let them know as soon as I could. I sent a subsequent note after my flight was rebooked to confirm that we were so sorry, but we would not be able to make it. I feel, felt, terrible. The host has not yet responded to either of the messages. Was there anything else I should have done? And is there anything else I should do now to try to make this situation better? I obviously don't want to insult our hosts, but should I offer to reimburse them for the tickets? Make a donation to the organization? I'm at a total loss. Please help. Sincerely, Desperate in D.C.
3: Desperate in D.C.? I'm so sorry you had to miss an event for for travel details. Dan and I deal with that kind of stuff all the time, and it's a real bummer.
2: I really have to say I sympathize.
3: I think that it's a really good idea to get in touch with the host and offer reimbursement of the tickets. Just as a charity event, as something that you missed and they would not probably have been able to find someone else to go on such short notice, I think it's the right thing to do. I don't think you need to do a donation unless you would do a donation. And I don't think you have to t- do the donation privately for your own sake of donating. Don't use it. To show how guilty you felt or something like that. You want that to have a very honest and generous nature about it. And I think that that's important to keep intact and separate the reimbursement from the donation if you're going to make the donation.
2: Let them know how serious you are with the sincerity of that apology. Yeah, I exactly. That, that, Don't that let apolog- your money
3: speak for the apology. Exactly, Dan. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So there was something I noticed in the question. Yeah. It seems like both of the contacts here were happened before the event. They mm-hmm. were that anticipatory, trying to call and let someone know as soon as possible. Would you follow up with an apology later?
3: I think that you absolutely need to get in touch. You have email, but if you can get this person's phone number, I would make the phone call and try to get them on the phone, and I would issue an apology, and I would also make sure to offer to reimburse for the tickets as long as you have the means to do so.
2: I have a follow-up thought, but but before I offer it, I want to ask you one more question yeah. about this night.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: What do you think about the decision of our listener's wife not to go?
3: I oh, I I knew we had to answer this question and and I feel terrible having to say it, but I have a problem with it. I'm not in support of it. I think that at this late hour with it being a fancy event and something that someone else bought you tickets for, I think she should have gone. And it, it would have given her the opportunity to say and communicate what happened to you. But I want to say this with the sympathies of it can be scary to go somewhere on your own. If you don't know these people, it can be especially awkward, but sometimes for the sake of when someone has bought you a ticket to something expensive and nice and you just, you you put the fear and the worry or the not wanting to, assi- maybe his wife didn't want to go in the first place. Mm-hmm. Maybe she wasn't feeling that great. There's a million things that I could vouch for her, but because we don't have them to work with, I want to say I think she should have gone because she could have communicated what had happened. Something. It, well, it would have made it better.
2: she be part of the couple that have accepted this invitation. Yes. And she can still go.
3: And there's a moment where I'm saying, well, if they could have gotten the tickets to someone else, it's, maybe it's easier to ask a couple to go than a single. But I also think that doesn't hold that much weight. But, you address another concern yeah, that I had here, which else? is that
2: with no reply to the two emails, you don't know if those messages have been received. Right, And I'm imagining an incredibly awkward scenario where someone – On an evening time or a weekend when they aren't checking their email hasn't gotten the word and they are somewhere waiting for you and you're just not showing up and how incredibly awkward that moment can be and how incumbent it is upon any of us who find ourselves in that situation to do everything we possibly can to avoid putting someone else in that kind of awkward situation. So without that confirmation, I'm thinking – Asking your wife to look up their phone number to try, like in a, a
3: phone book. In a
2: phone book <laughs> to, to call all mighty forces to your aid. Like I, I was mutu- saying, I'm
3: thinking mutual contacts. Like uh, Google search them, Facebook search them, something. Snail right? mails to. Slow, slow, but can
2: you release a carrier pigeon? Is there anything <laughs> you can do to get anything. them word to avoid yeah. that incredibly awkward possibility of them being stood up yeah. that, that night? So, so Tough
3: stuff. And, tough stuff.
2: And and that's trying to go back in time. Yeah, And that's, that's impossible to do. You can't do that. And the concluding thought that I really do want to leave you with is that I don't want you to feel too terrible about this. It's really important to hold yourself accountable. At the same time, you don't want to beat yourself up. You only want to hold yourself as accountable as it's going to be useful for you to do the right thing, to correct the action, and to not do it again. Yeah. We have a policy at the Emily Post Institute that if it's a really important event, we fly the day before. Yep. And I used to try to squeak it in, and I just don't anymore. So if there's really something that you can't miss, where you couldn't live with yourself if you missed it, plan more time in the future, and you're going to be in better shape. You hear that? She says you're not as rude as you used to be. <laughs>
1: what
2: do you know that's the end of our questions for the week thank you for submitting your questions you can send future questions updates and comments to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or you can reach us on twitter using the hashtag awesomeetiquette or leave us a voicemail at 802-866-0860
3: It's time for the Postscript segment of our show where we explore a point of etiquette in depth. Our producer Hans is with us today because he had a very interesting conversation recently with one of our listeners. Hey, Hans!
4: Well, hey! I did. I had a great conversation uh, with Dogless, admirer of polite dog owners. (laughs) We'll call her Dogless from now on because that's a little unwieldy, but it's a great moniker, right? Uh, so, Douglas had written in with a salute, actually, to the two of you guys. Yay. Yeah, right? She had been listening to an episode where, Lizzie, you had talked about several instances happened in a short period of time where you had been politely informed by friends and colleagues that your dog, Benny, was no longer allowed in spaces where he had previously been allowed. Yeah. Yeah. Vermont Public Radio, um, which Benny was a regular in our studios when we would record up until very recently. So Douglas heard that discussion on that episode and was impressed by what she heard.
1: When I heard Lizzie and Dan start talking about bringing dogs to their office and bringing dogs to the studio and some changes that were being made about that, at first I kind of tuned out because I assumed that since I'm not a dog person, there was nothing for me to hear. But when I heard the way that Lizzie and Dan came at it with respect for all the points of view and complete understanding of what's appropriate in different situations, I realized that it is part of everybody's thing to deal with and that I can't just deal with it by ignoring it and backing away from it and moving myself out of range when dogs come around. I don't speak up for myself very well because... People are real attached to their dogs and love their dogs. And I thought, well, you know, it's possible I could learn to speak up better. So
4: Douglas heard this conversation only shortly after she had been actually in an incident involving an out-of-control dog at a local park.
1: Oh, to my great horror, I shouted at a woman out the window because I was one of the cars that was almost rear-ended when a dog on one side of the street that was not under control decided to run in front of my car, and it was so close, and I slammed on the brakes and dumped my groceries, and I lost it. And that, shortly after that, I heard Lucy and Dan talk, and I knew I needed to think about this some more.
4: This park had been the subject of heavy online debate, and Douglas had been watching this conversation unfold on the Internet.
1: A lot of people divided themselves into completely pro-dog, eager to state the lovely, polite, and valuable nature of their personal dog and its friendliness and worth, or they jumped on completely don't bring them near me with an idea that uh, they had been offended by dogs in the past and were completely offended by a dog running free downtown and there was very little let's figure out how the people that um, have dogs as part of their close family and the people that aren't comfortable with that can get along because gosh if you divide us down the middle we still have to get along
4: Douglas herself during our conversation was actually more of a moderate in this conversation online she's somebody who enjoys dogs but doesn't like them jumping up on her. She wants dog owners to have control. She wants dog owners to be polite. She said that on the forum, two people were getting to that point where everyone was generally agreeing that you should have control over your dog, although nobody really could agree what control meant, uh, and that everyone said you should absolutely pick up after them. And Douglas stressed that when people were being so entrenched, there wasn't any room for the more nuanced conversation which is a conversation that can get really, really tricky.
1: And then just the notion of you have to uh, tweak your, your approach according to who's got what kind of standing, if it's your boss. It's tricky to say when they say, oh, I know you don't like dogs, but you'd have to love our dog because it's so cool. And you have to learn to say, well, no, actually, I don't love your dog. Could you please tell it to lie down? It's tricky. It is
4: tricky. It is tricky. It's tricky because dogs fall into that camp of things that people should love. Camp of things like
1: dogs, kids. I think Dan might have referred to it about something his grandfather said about if if it's about your your grandchildren or your pets, people either have got their own and don't need to hear about yours or they don't care anyway. People who love them and people who don't love them can't quite fathom the other side of it.
4: And... Ultimately, the entrenchment that people end up feeling about dogs can limit their ability to interact with each other.
1: It's not even this side and that side. It's quite a spectrum. And I think it would be so much more comfortable if we had a little more willingness to discuss it and if I could learn to speak up a little more clearly before I'm freaked out or covered with dog slobber or somebody's humping my leg on the first meeting or something I it just is better if I can just say, Oh, that looks like a nice dog, thank you for not letting it jump up on me or oh that looks like a nice dog. What's his name and what's his command for please get down.
4: And the nuance that Douglas is expressing can be extended to so many things beyond
1: dogs. Everybody needs to learn to check out the other side before you even assume whether they like it or not, because you don't know.
3: Wow, Douglas, I just want to say thank you so much. You are are definitely coming, as, as Hans had mentioned, you're definitely coming at this actually from a very moderate perspective. And I think you're really allowing uh, for s- so much I almost want to say appreciation on both sides of this issue. And one thing that I just wanted to come forward and say is that Douglas's response was so very respectful and kind and and to the positive and and moving forward to a solution. We got other responses to this question, I think, by people who were really upset and they, they really heard how excitedly Dan and and Hans and I all talked about Benny in that episode and they really wanted to remind us that hey not everyone loves dogs and don't assume that everybody loves your dog and I want to be very clear that I do not assume everyone loves Benny but that what we were experiencing in the studio when we were talking about that was that you have to understand when we used to walk Benny in the amount of people who know Benny's name and not mine and who want to give him treats and things like that those were the the everyone that we were referring to and that our listener who did write in about that was absolutely right i don't know that every single person in the vpr building likes benny and it might have been a real relief to some of those people when they found out that dogs were no longer going to be allowed for exactly the reason that Douglas and and one of our other listeners are talking about is that people who don't love dogs feel a lot of pressure ...to like dogs in a society that's very dog-friendly, and it's really important for dog owners to understand that, that your dog might feel like your child, but it is a very different experience to encounter even the cutest, most friendly of little puppy faces if you really are scared or just uncomfortable... Dogs can be unpredictable sometimes, and that's something that can make people uncomfortable. So I love that Dogless is starting to cultivate language for herself that's both going to be respectful to someone that loves this furry little friend and respectful to herself and to be able to stand up and say, I appreciate that your dog is such a big part of your life. I'm very uncomfortable around dogs. So if you could help me manage this interaction, that would be great. I'm very cognizant about this, especially Dan and I work in an office building where clients are dropping by a lot. And Benny can be very overwhelming if he's off leash and walking through one of our main hallways. He thinks that's playtime. It's a place that I am trying to be more cognizant of having him on a leash and under control like Douglas is talking about because it'll put someone like her at ease if we encounter each other. I can't tell when I'm on the street whether the person walking towards me is afraid of dogs or loves dogs. Just the same way we warn children. You can't tell if the dog that's being walked near you is a friendly dog or whether that dog is working. You know, a lot of dogs are in training and working in that moment. It's not the right time to say hi. So we have to develop language for each other. As much as me as a dog owner, I have to be able to say, I'm terribly sorry. You know, we're on a training run. I can't have my dog stop and say hi. Or your child shouldn't lean down to pet my dog. He's not friendly. I have a responsibility to do that. I feel like I want to really encourage people who aren't comfortable around dogs to say, I'm I'm not comfortable around dogs. If you wouldn't mind giving me a little more space, I'd appreciate that. I think that's an appropriate response when you encounter close quarters with a dog and you're not someone who's comfortable around dogs. I like that. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm sorry. That was a really big rant. I no, covered a lot. <laughs> and
2: I wanted to hear everything that you had to say. Thank this you. is the first time that both Lizzie and I have heard that particular conversation that that Hans had with Douglas. And I'm reminded of how important it is that we have difficult conversations well sometimes you stumble into a difficult conversation that yes. we all know to be ready and prepared when we're going to talk politics or religion or about our love life at the dinner table but difficult conversations <laughs> pop up in the most um, unusual of places and oftentimes what makes them difficult is they're unexpected and it's oftentimes the fact that people have very different opinions about things that by definition makes it difficult or charged and a couple of things about this example jumped out at me. One is that a lot of this discussion was happening online which is where a lot of difficult discussions are taking place these days. I think it's a good place just for all of us to remember that the same rules that apply when we're face-to-face, when we're interacting in person, apply in those online spaces, and they're going to help us have more productive discussions. And It's reminding me that there is a price of admission to difficult conversations. It's a time to maybe just jump back and do a quick review of some concepts, some rules, some tips for managing difficult conversations well. Very briefly, you want to look at the situation. You want to think about where you are and what you've got to invest. Are you in a work environment where you want to be a little more circumspect or discreet? Is this online where you don't have the check of the other person's response to remind you um, and to keep you empathetically honest? Is it happening with friends or family who's where the relationship really matters or where you have a little more latitude. So the situation is going to be important. Then you want to test the waters. You don't want to be too extreme or strident right off the bat. You want to figure out how willing or receptive this other person is to the difficult conversation. Why is that important? Because people are triggered. People are emotionally triggered. And both of those concepts came up. Douglas brought that up, that sometimes she felt she could hear somebody addressing something that wasn't even what they were talking about. And that can happen. It's important to recognize when that happens to the person you're discoursing with. And it's also important to recognize it in yourself. And being willing to step back from that emotional response and hold yourself accountable. How do you do that? You really do everything you can to avoid making it personal. Really do your best to keep the discussion about the issues at hand, about the shared situation or topic that is common to everybody so that you're not just responding from your emotional past and you're not questioning the other person's integrity or sincerity or intelligence. It's also important that if you're going to wade into a conversation like this, that you've got an exit strategy, <laughs> that your willingness to cede to the last word or if someone's not approaching you with the same respect and consideration that you're approaching them, that you're willing to back off. The other thought that I want to share, and it's the most important one, that if you're going to have a difficult conversation about a difficult topic, you have to be willing to listen. You have to yes. really be willing to listen. And that might yes. mean hearing something that you don't want to hear it might even mean changing your perspective a little bit or adopting yeah. or modifying your position that can be so difficult it can it really be, can be it could be almost the biggest challenge where as you're approaching this and what can i do to help maybe it's me. Maybe I'm going to need to seed some right. ground here. And
3: I don't want to interrupt, but I want to say that is so exactly the experience that I had when I got, I don't want to say the, the more negative, but the more serious response from one of our listeners was that here, what I was hearing, it was hurtful to me, but at the same time, I had to take that hurt aside and be like, pay attention to what this person is saying right now because they are coming from a place where this is very scary to them. And that is very real. Mm -hmm. And I need to be able to respect that. Even if uh, Benny is so happy go lucky and everything and I can put all of those things onto him and know the relationship I have and all of that. It doesn't matter because this person is telling me they are scared and that I needed to be representing that part of the conversation back in podcast 80, whatever it was Mm -hmm. that we had it. And I didn't do that. And it's why I wanted to have this conversation here because people like Douglas and our other listener, they deserve to be heard and they deserve to have language that allows them to feel comfortable.
2: We often say that if you get to try something new at a dinner for the first time, it's a real (laughs) treat. Maybe approach a conversation that changes your perspective as a real treat. I'm starting to see it that way that, boy, when someone really brings something up and and addresses something in a way that allows me to see it differently, that that's a real opportunity. That's that's a growth moment. That's a chance to find some common ground and some accord with someone. And that's a really special thing.
3: It is. And what I would say for the situations that we've we've been talking about today is that I don't want Douglas and our other listeners to think that they have to get over this fear. What I want them to know is that there is an etiquette to this and there is language for them. And they are they should they should be respected when they stand up and say, I'm not comfortable around dogs and this isn't something we're going to fix right now. And you can say it just like that. If it, a dog list was talking about a sample scenario of a boss and my my boss loves their dog and they tell me, oh, but if you just met my dog. No, I I really, I appreciate that perspective, and I'm so glad you have your dog in your life, but I'm really uncomfortable around dogs in general. It's not something I get over just by meeting a cute, sweet dog.
2: So thank you, Dogless, and everybody who inspired this conversation about a surprisingly difficult topic. so important to honor all the good behavior in the world, and we like to finish each show with an etiquette salute. Today, we have a salute from Dominique.
0: Hello, Dan and Lizzie. My name is Dominique, and I am from outside of Seattle. There is a a family that I house it for um, a few times a year, whenever they go out of town. So they had emailed me a few months ago to ask if I could house it for them for a long weekend, and they checked back in a few days before they were supposed to go and said one member of their family had been sick for a few days. They described it as a stomach flu, and they were trying to decide if they would have to cancel their trip. And it came down to the morning that they were supposed to leave, they texted me and still hadn't made the decision. And so I was just waiting. I had my bag packed, and I was texting with the mom, and her husband was sick, and he was actually still asleep, and she was like, he's still asleep, but I kind of want to see how he feels when he gets up. And then I said, you know, I'm worried if it's a virus. And she actually said, like, it probably isn't. Like, no one else in their house has gotten sick. But she didn't, like, make me feel bad about being worried about that. She was like, yeah, no, that's a possibility, too. Like, and as soon as I said that, they immediately said, oh, you're right, we agree. We'll just cancel it. And they decided to pay me the agreed-upon rate that we'd already decided on for my trouble just since I'd set aside my time. But it was really nice the way they offered to pay me anyway, too, because it was just, like, immediate, like, in the same sentence, like, I couldn't say, no, that's ridiculous, you don't need to do that. They were just like, let me make sure we still have your address, and, like, we'll send a check tomorrow. So I just am really appreciative of this family and their generosity, and I just want to say thank you.
3: Dominique, what a wonderful experience to have them both consider your time and effort that you had been expecting and budgeting for this extra income, as well as having adjusted your schedule. I love the fact that they really respected the draw on your time and effort that canceling this would then also make. And I do think that what they did was the appropriate thing to do. So I'm so glad you had that experience. And I hope that this is a really great lifelong uh, house-sitting relationship for you. I don't know how to better rephrase that. But I I know how much I appreciate the families that I take care of, and I think that it's really great that you have what sounds like a a really respectful relationship going on.
1: Well, now, wasn't that better? Look at the effect of a little politeness.
2: Well, that's our show for today. Thank you for listening. And thank you, everyone, who sent us something. You can send us your next question, comment, or salute to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can reach us on Facebook. We're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Or you can leave us a voicemail at 802-866-0860. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore post.
3: I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E.
2: And don't forget, if you like what you hear, help us out. Subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner, and our show is produced by the incredible in-person Hans Buto.